following podcast has not been rated. You're listening to Fullbacks Are People Too, The Fapt, and here is your host, C.J. Newman. Hello and welcome to the second edition of the Fullbacks Are People Too, Fapt podcast. It's good to be back here. My name is C.J. Newman and I am your host for the show. This week, I actually have a separate co-host who is going to be joining me. Uh, his name is at Chef Chad Wells, C-H-E-F. C-H-A-D-W-E-L-L-S. He was with me on a former webcast that I used to do. I'm not going to name the name of it because it's it's irrelevant at this point. But um, this week we have at Recliner QB coming in. He is a Dallas Cowboys fan. More importantly, he's an NFL football fan. He's a pro football fan. So we're going to uh, talk about that, and we're going to talk about all things Cowboys. We're going to talk all about uh, is Mount Rushmore. Chad's going to give his uh, perspective on the rivalries that they have. We're just going to have a really good podcast here. I just finished recording it, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy this one. So without further ado, here's Chef Chad Wills and Recliner QB. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Fullbacks Are People 2 podcast. This week, i got a special co-host, and his name is at Chef Chad Wells on Twitter, Chef how the hell are you? I'm good. How are you today, CJ? I'm all right, man. The sun is nice and shiny here in Baltimore. I'm not sure how it is two counties over for you. Uh, it's about the same. It's nice to finally not have a monsoon season going on. Right. But, I know uh, it's it was, nice out today. It was just flooding uh, in like a city over from you, so I was getting kind of concerned for you out there. Yeah, it's been uh, flooding all around. It's been a lot of water. I mean, they even had to cancel the uh, bass. Master Elite Series in the Upper Chesapeake this week, which is definitely a sign that uh, they can't even have uh, professional fishermen on the water right now. It's how uh, hectic it's been with the rain. Yeah, I can definitely see that, especially, oh my goodness, a buddy of mine in PA, his car was underwater and his basement was starting to flood. PA really got hit with a bad. Yeah, I think Maryland is, is definitely on pace for historic amounts of rain. I know that the month of July we had 17 inches of rain, and we just saw... Um, our first days of sunshine over the past two days. So it is uh, uh, definitely a pleasure to be on the air today. It's definitely a pleasure to have you on again, man. It's been a while. So uh, let's go ahead and kick things off. You know, I don't want to leave my poor guest here uninvited. So um, ladies and gentlemen, I'm bringing on this week a Dallas Cowboys fan, homeboy, whatever you want to call him. His name is at Recliner QB. At Recliner QB, how the hell are you? I'm doing great, CJ and Chad. Thank you all very much for having me on today. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for coming on, man. How's the weather over in, uh, I'm not even sure where you're from, man. So, yeah, I live in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex down here in Texas, and the weather has been really hot, although it's supposed to be cooling down a little bit today and uh, at least early this week to maybe not be 110 plus every day. Well, I hear that. I mean, it's... uh. It is the Dallas area, so you're going to expect a lot more uh, heat down there than you would in the uh, north here, in, like in Baltimore. Absolutely. So, uh, let's let's go ahead and talk about your uh, Dallas Cowboys. So we got a hell of an off season going on for you guys. I was just looking at your draft. I was looking at some of the acquisitions you made. Uh, you got Alan Hearns coming onto the uh, staff. Deontay Thompson. Um, Deontay Th- Chad, wasn't he uh, a Raven at one point? Yeah, he was. But in, in all reality, I think he was a guy with the Ravens that showed some potential. And I think in Baltimore, we, we don't have a history of developing receivers. Um, I believe he came from where? From Buffalo? Is that correct? Yes, he came from Buffalo. 
So uh, right. you got him for actually pretty cheap, $1.8 million, it looks like, and then you got Alan Hurts on a two-year contract for $12 million. That's really damn cheap. Yeah, and that's the, the thing about it. Without you know a quote-unquote number one receiver anymore, which uh, a lot of Cowboys fans will tell you that we haven't had a number one receiver for the last couple of years anyways. Truth. But <laughs> – so, yeah, it looks like we have a really potentially deep position. No real standouts, I guess you would say, but a great way for us to spread the ball out around. I don't think everybody is going to make the team because uh, we do have uh, draft picks from last year and people that have at least made an impact in their short time. With Calvin Ridley on the board when Dallas made their pick, uh, how were how were Dallas fans um, – what was your reaction to that? I really thought as a spectator watching the draft that, that Ridley was going to be the next Dallas Cowboy. Now, hang on, Recliner. Before you answer that, let me uh, rephrase the question. How pissed off were you when you took who you did instead of uh, Calvin Ridley? <laughs> so, you know, I like to uh, grade our draft picks too early, but uh, I do understand why we chose a linebacker with the number one or our number one selection. And with the receiver, you know, Calvin Ridley is a guy that uh, from what I understand with the team and I do have some connections inside the team and the, the league in general, not very big ones or anything major, uh, but what I understand is that they really believe that Ridley was a number two receiver and would not necessarily be able to, to go all the way up to a number one and they also have a lot of confidence in the other parts of their offense with you know, the running game, the offensive line and other places that they've invested that uh, I don't think they wanted to go out there and, and pick a number one potential a receiver that would be expected to be number one at that spot. Yeah, I tend to I tend to agree with that. I think that with the receiving core we saw this year um, in in this year's NFL draft, I think that there's a strong possibility that they're absolutely right. I think that the receiver quality was not as high, but I think there was a plethora of number two receivers. I think that he just happened to be the best of the bunch with the number twos. Now, I'm not sure about that. I think uh, DJ Moore has the potential to be a number one here, especially yeah. since he had garbage piles throwing to the quarterback. <laughs> That's very yeah. true. So I think, yeah. honestly, he made chicken salad out of chicken shit. And uh, I know I said that last week. I'm probably going to keep that going on the show. But uh, it's DJ Moore was definitely, in my opinion, number one in the wide receivers in the book. And I think the Ravens got a little too cutesy to try to not draft him where they did. They you know, Unfortunately, Carolina ended up getting him. I actually, you know, I agree with you. DJ Moore was my favorite receiver. He was the guy that I felt would be able to make the biggest impact. And with the receiver class this year was was widely viewed, and I, I felt this way myself, which I used to do um, scouting and had my own scouting website for a while and was on Pro Football Talk Weekly. So I've, I've done a little bit, and the, the middle of the draft, you know, in rounds two through probably four, I felt had the best receiver depth. And we actually picked up Michael Gallup out of Colorado State, uh, you know, in the third round, and I think that he's going to make a, a pretty big impact for us in terms of his he's got good speed, but also just his overall size. He's got you know, really good uh, you know, size to kind of be a, a Des Bryant, but he's not that physical or that intimidating. Now, hang on. You're going to sit here and talk about Michael Gallup. How about that second-round pick, Connor Williams, for, out of Texas? I think that's a better pickup than uh, Michael Gallup myself. I think you guys have got one hell of an offensive line going, and that's the only thing that's keeping that offense going, to be honest with you. Absolutely. I think that that second-round pick with Connor Williams was one of the better picks that we had in the draft because – I think everybody knows our offensive line is the core of our team. It's where the main strength and you have one weakness or, uh, you know, one weak spot in that, then it can bring the whole thing down. Look at Tony Romo. His career was almost ended 
uh, or probably essentially was ended because of, you know, lack of protection on the offensive line. Cough, Doug free, cough, cough. (laughs) You know? Yeah. And then, uh, you know, Connor Williams, I think he is going to be better as a guard uh, than than a tackle where he played at Texas. And he's going to have, you know, arguably one of the best centers in the league on his right side. And then when healthy, arguably the best or one of the best left tackles, you know, on that, on that left side. So if he runs into any trouble, it'd be really easy for, for one of those veterans uh, to be able to offer, offer the help. I would and, give my middle nut to get Travis Frederick on this team right now. I'm telling yeah. you. Yeah. And that was a guy that I actually, uh, when we picked him in the first round. Oh I God. Yes. I remember how pissed off yeah. Cowboys fans were so pissed because it was why everybody thought, and it was widely quote unquote known, and we, nobody knows in the draft, but it was widely believed at least that he could have been available in the third round, maybe even the fourth round. But you're starting to see now in the last uh, few years, really since uh, Frederick and maybe a year or so before, but every year there's that one kind of surprise center, it seems, that gets taken in the uh, in the first round from the Alabama center last year. I'm blanking on his name right now that the Colts drafted to this year. Um, and I should know this because the Arkansas, and that's where I graduated from, and my kids have gone to. Uh, Travis, not Swanson, that was the other one. Maybe it was Swanson, but there was the first-round pick of a uh, center-slash-guard. I think it was by the Patriots, maybe, that took uh, – or the somebody, I'll look it up, but took the – uh, a first round center. So those are, you're starting to see that where every year there's that one where everybody says, oh, could have been the third round. But now I love that pick because Travis Frederick has obviously worked out. You know, he's been one of the best centers, if not one of the best centers, you know, a lot of it because of his intelligence in the game and the way that he can, he can, he can make all the calls for the line. And we have a great line anyways. I mean, Zach Martin could probably make the calls if he needed to, but his, his quickness um, allows him to get to that second level a lot. So I was, I love the Travis Frederick pick and the Connor Williams when, you know, really I think that came down to, and especially with a lot of the greater Cowboys fan base was Earl Thomas trading for Seattle for that safety, free safety, or, you know, taking that, taking Connor Williams. And you also have to realize by trading second round pick plus a new contract, we probably would have given up maybe a fourth, fourth or fifth round pick and lost, uh, you know, lost our, our tight end, I believe, or the young, uh, the young defensive end out of Kansas State, Dorian Armstrong. Yeah. I can just remember after my jaw dropped off the floor and I was able to pick it back up listening to the, uh, the analysts like Mike Mayock said, I had a third round draft grade on him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Chad, what the hell were your thoughts when you heard that? I wasn't thinking when I heard that. Um, I think that's one of the ones, CJ, I know you and I were watching the draft together. I think that's one of the ones that I actually called that they were going to take him. Yeah. Am I correct in saying that? I think you did call that one. Just like uh, at the very last second, I remember us picking Brashad Perriman one year, and that was uh, (laughs) – that went so well. Yeah, that's – Probably one of the worst moves ever. I, I guess a Cowboys fan would understand this. I'd much rather have Des Bryant right now, or <laughs> ten years from now, than having uh, Rashad Perriman. Yeah, <laughs> we uh, we have code names for when people take a dump around here. We say either taking a Rashad Perriman or taking a Geno Gretkowski. Oh, nice. I like those. <laughs> you can always go. With that. I mean, you know, I think we know that the Cowboys or maybe Jerry Jones is his uh, very, very large share 
Uh, now, uh, earlier, I, I noticed you had mentioned uh, the term we when you said uh, as far as grading some of these people uh, as the Cowboys uh, go. Tell me, who is we in there? Is that Jera? Is that just him? Or is it his son, too? Who all is – who's making these decisions nowadays? So in the, the Cowboys, you know, Jerry still has the ultimate decision making mm-hmm. power. You know, he is the the guy. But the last, I would say, probably decade, um, really, and it's picked up a lot in the last six years, five years, is Steven has much more impact. He has a lot more say and influence in that draft room. And 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 one of the things with Jerry is uh, whoever has his ear last a lot of the times is going to be the uh, the person whose opinion he takes. Uh, very similar to, to the President of the United States right now, it seems. Hey. Where your last kind of carries that forward. You know, I'm not, not getting into it at all, just saying that they have a similar personality. Um, but what the, the way they've got it now is it's almost a triangle. It's You have the Jones family, primarily Jerry and Steven at the top. Mm-hmm. Then you have Jason Garrett and the coaching staff at one corner. And you've got Will McClay, uh, you know, our head of scouting, uh, scouting director, development player, whatever they, you know, fancy name they give him, is the other piece. And whenever the coaching staff and the scouting staff can't agree on a pick, then they take their arguments up to the ownership group. And Will McClay has done a fantastic job of learning how to deal with the Jones family because they're a unique family and they're not always the easiest to deal with, but he has gotten that down to a, a T on how to manage that relationship and manage the entire, you know, coaching, scouting, and executive staff. When so talk- he, oh, so go ahead. I'm sorry. Talking about, when they're talking about taking him down to Houston uh, and being the GM there, that is what scared Cowboys fans more than anything else that I – uh, I talked to and, and reactions that I was able to glean um, was losing him would have been the, the real uh, the real threat. So on the topic of the coaching staff and the ownership of the Cowboys, as a Cowboys fan and a football fan in general, do you think that the Cowboys made the right decision with going with that Dak over Tony Romo? You know, it's it's hard. After that first year, everybody wants to say that that yes, because let's be real, the play of Dak um, made it essentially retire Tony. And it looked at the time like it was the right call. And I remember with one of my, my best friends, um, he called me on it and he saved the statement of, I said that Dak was going to be our franchise quarterback after the first season or might have even been a little bit into last year. Uh, so I, I got to say that yes, I think they made the right decision. With Tony and his his frail and the cap consequences of having a quarterback like that at his age, especially and and injury history, I think you had to go with the young guy, especially with the way the NFL is changing. He gives you a lot more mobility than than Romo does or did at this point in his career. It hasn't. We don't know yet if it's going to work for the long term. I think more of it has to do with Scott Linehan, our offensive coordinator, and the lack of creativity than uh, than it does on Dak as much. But uh, this year, it's going to be his team 100% now. So we'll we'll see if uh, it's the right decision. But I, I think it was ultimately the right one. Now, I got to tell you, Tony, as far as him, I, I was very surprised that his career went as far as it did. I mean, he had to compete with Drew Bledsoe back in the day, if I'm not mistaken, in order to get his role. Yeah. And he was an undrafted guy, and 
some people would say that's still too high in the draft for him to be picked. <laughs> but uh, undrafted dude who beat out a uh, former uh, Super Bowl contending quarterback that was in the New England Patriots offense. So number one overall pick. Yeah, that's that's one hell of a uh, coup for Tony Romo to be able to say that he was able to beat that guy out. And then he got as far as he did. I mean, he did he ever win a playoff? Yeah, he won a playoff game. I think yeah. one, right? Yeah, I th- yeah, he did. He won a playoff game, then he got that bye that they considered a win uh, that one year. <laughs> Wade Phillips likes to call that the uh, like a win. But, you know, I'm surprised that he made it as far as he did too. And honestly, he's probably one of, if not my favorite, um, you know, Cowboys quarterback. And that's hard to say. And I grew up, I was born in 83. I'm 35 years old, just turned uh, 35 earlier on this month. And, um, and I grew up with, with Troy Aikman. I grew up listening to Roger Staubach and obviously going back and scouting. And, and Tony, just in terms of excitement and fun and overall personality, he he was the most fun and, and the most enjoyable. I'm, I'm in that same age group. I was born in 81. And, and coming from the, the Baltimore region, you know, we didn't have a football team through a big portion of my life. And um, so I, I grew up watching Aikman as well. And in this region, we would see a lot of Cowboys games. Uh, just being so close to the Redskins when, you know, as a kid, the Redskins were very unfortunately kind of crammed down our throats here in Maryland. Um, so I, I think I agree with you. I think of seeing the personality, I think Tony Romo probably is one of my favorite Cowboys of all time, just because of getting to watch, getting to listen to him as an all around person. I think obviously as a player, I absolutely love Troy Aikman, but I actually really like Romo as a commentator. I know that CJ disagrees, but um, I I, I think he's hilarious and he's, he's clearly got some very, a very high football IQ. All right. Now Chad and I were watching a game on Thursday night football this year that I found freaking hilarious. It was the Ravens versus the Dolphins. It was just a blowout. And towards the end, a cat got on the field. All right. So this cat is skirting (laughs) around the sidelines and they do a replay on it because we're blowing this damn team out We're it's like 40 to zero at this point and Tony's like oh does he have his paws in bounds yes he does he does and I'm just cracking up laughing I actually like Tony as a commentator he just makes some weird noises once in a while he does do that and and yeah I agree he's got the, he's got great football knowledge he when he does it he's he's announcing he's having fun it, you can tell he really enjoys it you can tell he's got that passion for the game he's got the passion for educating the fans and even my wife uh, and, and some of the the people that come over and watch that watch the games with us that don't really watch the games. But my wife loves to hear him talk because he will sprinkle knowledge in that she picks up on a little bit more. And she is really knowledgeable, actually. And so are my uh, my two my two daughters are actually fairly knowledgeable themselves uh, on football. But, yeah, I love his energy, that enthusiasm and, and playing that out with the cat. He'll take anything and run with it just because he's like, <laughs> that's what you do, you know, when he's. Uh, breaking down game film after games with his family. Uh, I've heard stories about that for years and years and years, and people saying that he was going to be a, a commentator most likely when his playing days ended. God, that was freaking hilarious. I'll, I'll never forget that. <laughs> I know. I love it. All right, so we're talking on uh, your favorite Cowboy. That was actually one of my questions here. Now, he's probably your favorite uh, Cowboys quarterback, but your favorite Cowboy overall, who would you say that is? Oh, man. So... We have a long and storied history to choose. It's true. It's, it's really hard. And you know, I know I know a lot of people don't like it when you stick with the the newer players. And and yeah, and I can go back if I wanted to probably and think of um, you know one of the older players that that we all you know know and love. But I'm gonna have to go with Jason Witten. He's been 
the consummate professional, both on and off the field, um, whether it be charity and, and the volunteer work and what he's he's done to help people and, and sharing his own experiences. I think most people know that, you know, him and his mom, uh, his, his immediate family were, were running across the country at one point trying to to escape his extremely abusive, uh, you know, father. And they were essentially homeless before he ended up in the Tennessee area and playing football for his grandfather, where he was a high school coach and Tennessee and on and on. But the guy's never done anything bad. Um, I can't point to a single thing where I was ever said, man, I'm kind of disappointed in, in the way that Whitney handled that or the way that he played that game. He's had bad games mm-hmm. and, and he cemented himself in my mind, probably when the probably the most famous play everybody knows about, but when he was running down the field against the Eagles, took a hit, lost his helmet, didn't go down, kept on trucking another 30, 40 yards before I think he was two yes. Eagles defenders drug him down without a helmet. I mean, they changed the rules uh, a couple years after that, saying that as soon as the helmet comes off, the play's dead. Yep, because that's dangerous as shit. And that guy, he yeah. had uh, he had grit. Goodness, did yeah. he have grit. Well, remember this. What about the, uh, the time for week one of the season? I'm going to say maybe five years ago, uh, we were playing the New York Giants. I think it was during the preseason earlier on. He had lacerated his spleen. Um, and they, the team doctors and stuff shut him down and said, no, you can't go in the field if your spleen is lacerated because you're, you know, you all the risks. We've heard Chris Sims talk about it. So what did he do? Couldn't find a doctor locally in Dallas. Flew to New York on his own dime because Jerry and Jason and the coaching staff, maybe it was Wade at the time, but they had told him that uh, if you can get back in the queue, we'll let you suit up and play. I'll be damned if he didn't find some pack in uh, New York. That, that cleared him and said he could actually go ahead and play, and he went out and played. Right, that's got to be about? some of the shadiest doctoring I've ever oh, seen in my man. life. Yeah. Or how about when he broke his jaw, he had to miss one game because he had surgery, came back the next week and played the next few weeks with his jaw, his mouth, entire mouth wired shut, couldn't even talk, <laughs> and he went out there and played. I mean, the guy is just amazing. Yeah, I've loved Jason Witten. I remember he was the uh, man of the year that the year that the Ravens went to the Super Bowl and faced the 49ers. I remember seeing him oh, yeah. on the sidelines there. I'm like, oh, this is the only time you're going to see a cowboy <laughs> at the Super Bowl in this era. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> oh man. You never know. Any any given Sunday. So, That's uh, true. We'll see what happens. So uh, go ahead and give me your favorite overall player of all time. Now, I sent you this question, so you had some time to think about it. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And I was trying to think of somebody besides just you know, a cowboy. I wanted to, you know, spread it out a little bit and think of who are some of my favorite players to watch. That, yeah, if you know, if you're a homer, play. then you're a homer. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Give me oh, who yeah, your no, favorite absolutely. one is. But I'm also a fan of football. I'll watch every game that I can get my hands on. I'll break down film. Uh, you know, Larry Allen on the field was one of my favorites to, to ever play. But if I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to have to say like a Peyton Manning. I've always felt that Peyton Manning was the the greatest player to ever lace up a pair of cleats. And to watch him work an offense and move an offense and, you know, whether it's dink and dunk, go long, move his footwork and the way he goes through his reads, I think that was that was an art form to me and just something so, so um, just magical. I don't know how else to say it because – yeah, I mean, it was just must-see TV. I, I thought every time that, 
you know, he was, you know, under underdog or when he was, you know, being really pushed or without people to see his brain and the way that he sees the field. So he's one of them. And then Brett Favre is, is right up there, too. And I'm not trying to just go with quarterbacks, but Brett Favre, because he was so fun, so ingenious. You so, just caught Chad's attention. I can tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, you absolutely did right there, brother. Yeah. So. Yeah, just the way that he would play it, so much fun. I mean, you could, Brett Favre was the guy that we all are who, you know, to hell with practice. I want to go out there on Sundays and I just want to play. And I'm not going to play within the bounds of the offense or the play or my coaches or even, you know, the, the field. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to, to make it work. And I'm going to be laughing and joking. And, and you, you knew that he was having fun. Yeah, I, I love listening to his stories now. Yes. When, they, when they talk to him now about playing football, the guy seems like he really didn't know anything. He was just a warrior. Yeah. And I, I want to say that, like, you know, my I always have this internal debate on who my favorite player of all time is. <laughs> I'm going to say Ray Lewis, always. But growing up, I, I, I it's hard to argue with Brett Favre. You know, growing up, he was my favorite quarterback to watch. Um, he still is one of my favorite people to see when he, anytime he does an interview, I listen yeah. and he, he, at the same time, I think it's, I think it's really cool what he did over the years when he went through and beat every team in the NFL. I really, 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 really hated that NFC championship game when he played for the Vikings. I think the Super Bowl should have been his that year. Yeah, uh, It was so awful to watch how dirty the, the Saints treated him. Since then, I can't watch the Saints. That's how that's how frustrated and irritated I was with, with how they were abusing Brett Favre in that game mm-hmm. with the late hits and the shots at the ankles. And then to come out and find out later on about all the Bounty Gate stuff was absolutely infuriating to me because they, they basically just abused the legend. Yeah, it's true. No, they did. And, you know, but but with that, um, you know, also was or I would say I wouldn't hate the Saints. I would hate Greg Williams. Greg Williams was, you know, I know Sean Payton took a lot of brunt of it, but he was uh, he was not as informed as as he maybe should have been at that time with it. And of course, the head coach, everything does, you know, roll downhill and you're ultimately responsible for it. But yeah, that was that was a tough game to hey, watch. And I was pulling. For hey, it. let's do a cheers here. Fuck Greg Williams, everybody. Clank him up. Fuck Greg Williams. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I guess he's not coming on the show. Um. <laughs> and just like you said about Jason Witten, Brett Favre is an absolute warrior. And that that yes. game alone was one of the ones that you could see. I mean, the guy could barely walk. And I think he came off the field what for maybe a series yeah. uh and and it got his ankle taped back up and he was his ankle was bleeding he was could barely he was limping across the field and was still he was not stopping and i think he he threw what five interceptions in that game yeah yeah i mean he, it wasn't his best but he had there was you know circumstances mitigating circumstances that you know affected that and he will but yeah his iron man streak that toughness is one of my favorite qualities about him and I don't want to speak, you know, about his off the field stuff too much because you know, I might not agree with everything he's done in terms of with you no know, Jen Sturge or whatever Sturgis was with the Jets and, you know, some of that, uh, you know, potentially extramarital activity. But one thing that that um, that actually relate a lot with him. Hey, this is a podcast. I mean, I'm not rated or anything. I, you can say whatever the hell you want, no, man. Yeah. It's uh, dick yeah, pics. He had dick pics going on. We all yeah. know. And then whatever he might have had with, you know, whatever. He, I'm sure he had extramarital affairs, and I know some of them have been admitted to. Uh, but, you know, with his Iron Man streak and stuff, he uh, is apparently clean now. But we know that uh, he battled addiction to painkillers. He did and very early on in his career. Yeah, and battled them for a while and had to go to rehab, I think, three times for it. 
He had to go to and rehab, and then he finished rehab, came back, and won a Super Bowl that season. Yeah. Like, literally came up to the wire and just came up and won the Nine, damn thing. Yep, 96, and he had to go back to uh, to rehab, I want to say, right after that season. And as somebody who, myself, I've had personally, and haven't had any in a few years now, but I went through in a period of about seven years, um, and the last one was about three years ago, I think. I had six shoulder surgeries, uh, tore my shoulders up. One of them ended up really bad infection uh, to where I ended up on you know really, really hardcore antibiotics and I was in ICU almost killed me throughout that time though I actually myself through so many surgeries and and what I was going through ended up myself addicted to painkillers and that was one of the the you know the biggest battles and the hardest things to overcome was was that and knowing that you know someone like him has gone through it as well as a lot of other people have and thankfully I was able to you know to get help with my my wife helped me and stuff and able to get uh, get out of it without completely ruining my life or my family's life. So, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of luck and thanks with that. But, uh, but no, that's one of the other reasons why I admire him and why I, uh, I kind of look, not look up to him, but why, you know, I relate to him a little bit because we've gone through similar things. Now, w- wait a minute, recliner. Um, I'm going to go ahead and stop you there. Luck is for losers. You <laughs> battled through what you did. Brett battled through what he did. And I'm very proud of you for being able to go overcome your history. I appreciate that. And thanks. And, you know, yeah, and it's, and, to be completely honest, he'd probably say the same thing is it's a never ending um, battle because, you know, when you're an addict and you have that, it's something you have to worry about and you have to make sure that you don't, uh, you know, let yourself fall back into that. And I haven't, you know, I've been good for years now, two plus years at least. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was definitely the toughest thing that I, that I ever had to go through. So. Well, uh, I can respect what he's gone through himself. Recliner, uh, Chad can speak to this. I had a different type of addiction in my life. I uh, was over 400 and some odd pounds at one point in my life, and I had to overcome my addiction to food. So, Holy, are you serious? I, I, I topped out at 471 pounds, and I'm now Holy down to 223. Fuck. So... It's uh, Holy it was a blessing to have. Dude, I know it's that. I, I so I've never met you, but we know each other through Twitter. I've seen pictures and stuff, and yeah, I'll share I, with you I, some I, of my old fatty pictures when I get a chance. Yeah, I have, I would have never thought that. Like you don't have that. I mean, like I'm a fairly, you know, when I say that I was fat, I'm like five foot eight. I was almost 200 pounds, and that was my fattest. And um, you know, my my weight's in my face, but like you've got a skinny, slim face. Like I just that's amazing, and. And kudos to you and and props to you for that, too, because I know that I've seen people in my family and close friends battle that, too. And that's not an easy thing because you don't to go and get drugs. Sometimes it can be difficult to to get them or expensive. But with something like food, it's always available. It's always right there. It's the truth, man. And And Chad remembers my fat ass. And he spends all his time hanging out with a chef. I was just about to say, I don't think it's French to me. You know, hanging out with someone whose name is Chef would be a good... <laughs> the you fucking enabler. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, but yeah, we both uh, got over some things in our lives, and I'm definitely very proud me? of you. Mm. I can you hear you. Up? You're here. Yeah, I broke up for a second. I think it think it's good. Stop. Yeah, don't break up with me, Chad. I'm not cool with that. But yeah, that's that's awesome. I'm really proud of you, CJ. That's that's great. And I, you, man. All right, back to football. So uh, yeah. we went to your favorite cowboy. We went to your favorite overall player. Which uh, you know what? Screw it. We're gonna go back and talk about Peyton Goddamn Manning for a minute because I got a story I want to tell. <laughs> so, um, Peyton Goddamn Manning, every year that Chad and I do fantasy football, it was my first overall pick. Somehow I always luckily landed him. 
And I remember I had in 2013 a choice between him and Andy Dalton for the season never opener. Never go wrong with Peyton. It's truth. It's uh, uh, for the season opener in 2013 against the uh, Baltimore Ravens. And I'm thinking, man, that Ravens defense is going to be amazing. I should probably pick Andy. Last second I picked Peyton, and God damn it, um, that was an amazing game. He scored 49 points yeah. uh, on the field, at least. What did we have, like 70 for him overall in our league, Jed? Yeah, it was something disgusting. And wow. who was I facing that week? Probably me. <laughs> it was your ass. And uh, I don't think anybody ever recovered that. Year, so I don't care if you beat me. Good point. Good point. I got you there. Yeah, good point. But I won the previous year. And I won that game. That's all that mattered that day. <laughs> but, uh, okay, so your Mount Rushmore. Give me your Mount Rushmore. We'll uh, go two offense, two defense, and a special teams. Okay. I was actually – so when I was thinking, thinking about that, I went a different route. I went – if I had my Mount Rushmore, I would want to go with an executive. Oh, very um, good. You can include that too. Executive or owner. So I went with like Gil Brandt, who not only was he in the Cowboys, uh, longtime Cowboys – but he eventually, or essentially, created the scouting combine, and you know, the underwear Olympics that I at least you know love every, uh, you know every February or March, whenever it is. But I absolutely, Gil Brandt. Now I think head coach. Who's the head coach? I mean, really, is there any? There is no doubt. It's uh, Bill Belichick. I mean, they should rename the Lombardi Trophy the Belichick Trophy when it's done. Asterisk. <laughs> because I'm not even going to that. We can, we can get into that one, but I don't even think what he has done is too bad. But then I would go with, uh, you know, players. And I think I would stick with the offensive player. I think still the greatest individual player in NFL history, in my opinion, is Peyton Manning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even though I know the argument can be made with Tom Brady, but I'm not a big person in terms of Super Bowls because it's a team game. So many people are involved, and it's very rare that one player makes that big of an impact. Typically, on a football team, there is some players, but Manning was that. Went you're not, not going to get a disagreement from either yeah. one of us there. Nope, definitely three, our favorites. Three and thirteen without him. Um, so that's to me, that's the way it goes. And then. On defense, the defensive player, that's where I had a really hard time picking. Um, the first three I thought were fairly simple, but the fourth one, that's difficult. I think I would have to go with somebody that's like a quarterback of a defense. You know, Dion or something like that's obvious choice because of his true shutdown potential. I think Jalen Ramsey has the potential to be that kind of a player. Can't really pick on just one. I'm having a hard time, but I wanted to go with somebody that was what I felt kind of a quarterback of a defense and just amazing, physical, spectacular plays. And I had to go with, you know, Ed Reed, Troy Polamalu style um, ties because of the impact that they have in safety position. And then one that I think would have been that and in a totally different era, but was even though he played for the rival Washington franchise, um, Sean Taylor. Really? I thought he was one of the most amazing players to watch on the field because he would blow you up and not even think twice about it. He could blow up anybody, but then the plays in the back, he he was he to me he may not might not have quite been as athletically gifted at stuff like picks as the Palomalu and Reed was, but in terms of his overall game, because of the physicalness and the ability to make plays in the back end, he was he was up there for me. I thought he was you, You'd put him above a, a young Ray Lewis? 
You know what? I don't um, – Ray Lewis, amazing, especially with his, uh, you know, the overcoming the physical limitations of his size to play linebacker in the modern-day NFL. But I've always had an issue with the deer antler spray, the Super Bowl thing. Not that he was any big. So I was told by a player at the time when I was doing my old website that Ray Lewis was juicing and that it would come out before the Super Bowl, which it did. And then there's also the – or the issue to me of Atlanta outside the nightclub in 2000, two people are dead. Mm-hmm. Ray Lewis was there. I don't know. I'm not saying that he was guilty of it, but he did know what happened at least. And I understand don't snitch or whatever, but there's still families that well, don't it, have their loved here's, ones. Here's the thing though with that. Ray Lewis would not have even been charged with obstruction. Nobody, nobody was convicted of a murder for that. It was a self-defense. And it's, it's one of those things that it's, I don't think everybody wants to read the whole story of what happened. And yes, he kept his mouth shut, but you know, as somebody who's an athlete with a lot of money, do you, you don't think that there's a lawyer behind you saying, just keep your mouth shut. Don't say a word. Oh no, absolutely. I'm not saying that what he did was, was wrong with the way he handled it from, you know, a legal standpoint after the fact, no, that absolutely. And then I've read the whole story. It's been a while, but I remember reading it in sports illustrated when I was in high school and reading about the, the thousand pushups and sit-ups he would do a day and solitary how he got through it at the time i admired him almost for that because of what the i remember the circumstances being at the time but now that i've gone and done you know more later on in life and he's done a lot of great things with police officers with the baltimore you know uh, community that needs help and stuff he's been a great great you know role model and stuff later on and after that but that that's the one thing that's always kind of uh, stuck in my crawl because you know you're saying self-defense and maybe it was I don't remember that part well, of it, but again, I don't. Well, I don't, it was that—that that was a fact. They were—they were acquitted. The two other guys were acquitted, and the way what they did is they basically charged. Um, they basically charged Ray Lewis with a crime to get him to roll on his friends and they charged him with obstruction of justice. And he made a plea deal to obstruction of justice, but they tried him first. And so what ended up happening is had they tried the other two guys first, his case would have actually ultimately been completely dismissed. It wouldn't have mattered because it was, it was dismissed. It was shown to be self-defense The the people from my understanding, from what we've read is the people that ended up in the fight and, and ultimately they, People end up dead. Um, I don't know the details of that, but they were known. They were they were essentially people that were known to rob famous athletes. Mm. They were known to rob uh, people like that. It, it it turned into something that got overblown. And we see what the media does with uh, oh, yeah. with a lot of famous athletes. Um, you know, they they you only they only stick to the narrative that's going to get them ratings points. And I think in his case, uh, it, am I saying that that Ray Lewis is uh, a man of the highest moral compass? <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, I'm sure he's not. I'm sure he's done a lot of bad things. When I when I look at a player, or I like to look at what their attributes are on the field and what they've done to contribute to a team. And I cannot think in my lifetime of finding a, a player who who could make the impact that a young Ray Lewis could. And that to me is why I think that he stands above everybody. But I think if you want to start getting into uh, like moral value and things that people do, it makes it really difficult to try to judge a lot of things when you're looking at uh, a player on and off the field. You know. I, I agree 100% with you on that because uh, I'm a very big proponent of 
take off field out of it when it comes to like, you know, Hall of Fame selection, which, you know, talk about the T.O. thing, blah, blah, blah. So I don't like to normally take that. And I and I probably shouldn't take that into account because I will admit that not only the impact that Ray Lewis made from physical playmaking ability impacts, but his his impact leadership on getting the team ready to go, pumped up, fired up, playing quarterback of that defense and also what he did with the fans and his whether it was dance coming out of the tunnel or getting fans in the stadium fired up. He had a massive impact on that entire um, organization. So I, Lewis, I can't argue that. Ray Lewis's pregame speeches made me think that I could go out <laughs> and win the game. It's true. Yeah. If, you knew, if you saw me in person, the, that's not happening. One last thing yeah. on the Atlanta thing. Um, just want to see if you guys have an opportunity to go ahead and plug this book. Uh, it's it's autobiography. I feel like going on life, game, and glory. Turn to page 141, chapter 9, Atlanta. It'll tell his side of the story. So if you guys want to read that, feel free. Yeah, I'm going to write that down real quick. 141, chapter 9. All right. So, um, yeah, interesting pick on uh, Sean, Day, uh, or Sean Taylor, I should say. That's uh, That guy was taken way too soon from us. Yeah, he was. And, and I'll admit, I haven't gone back and looked at his film or broken it down in many years and as I've grown, as I've matured and the game has changed, my views on things obviously changed going back. So I, I need to go back and look at it. But I know in the past when I have, it's always been like I'm, I, I can't break down the place from like a scouting standpoint as much. I'm just in so I'm like in so much awe of his physical abilities, and especially once he got his life together. He had, uh, you know, off the field young in his career, coming from that Miami team in the late nineties, early, early two thousands. They were all pretty much I don't want to say bad guys, but in the terms of they were not held accountable for anything, party boys, and he had a lot of those issues. But once he had his child. Uh, I want to say he got engaged or married, had that family settled down. And, and I think that's when you saw his full potential and impact on the field and in the locker room. He definitely uh, grew up. Be, yeah. Role model for people. And it was, you know, it was one of those things. It's like, it would, to me, it would have been like having Pac-Man, Adam Pac-Man Jones um, taken from us two or three years ago, maybe four or five years ago when it was, the guy was a, thug and a you know bad dude responsible for all kinds of horrible and heinous shit and then he seemed to turn the corner and pick it up and now to me he's become a, a role model like um you know for for young people just like the honey badger coming through what he's gone through and it just shows people that hey no matter how bad it is it it can get better you can turn it around and uh, i love badger, that doing that comparison is like apples and potatoes i mean yeah i'm doing modern day with honey badger because yes and with the honey badger it's it was more though, and, and you oh, people, oh, dude. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I don't say I will never ever. But with the honeybacks, there was more than just the the marijuana use. Now that was what got him most trouble. But he had a lot of off the field incidents down in LSU with bar incidents and not showing up on practice all the time and not doing the right things. He had to really mature because he was going down the wrong path. Uh, okay, uh, really I didn't bad. know that part. But, yeah, I will, and yeah, you know, I will never ever criticize anybody for using cannabis as myself i'm a daily cannabis user from you know, my service you know, I'm a, I, I i'm i strongly support legalization of marijuana yep. in every form but i will have a time where i'll knock people for smoking pot if yeah. you have a job <laughs> that pays you millions of dollars yep marijuana is not fucking crystal meth it's not crack and we know that why can't you stop smoking weed with your fucking friends to play football? It's like, like seriously, time like, that you have to. 
to me, it's just like when people when when I see people in the NFL and they're like, oh, he was if, if it came out and said, oh, this guy was strung out on heroin and he can't, you know, he, he can't go a day without it. OK, all right. That dude needs help. Mm-hmm. And if it's somebody who's just like smoking weed and partying with their friends. It's like, dude, just why don't you just go party with your friends and not smoke the weed? Because now you fucked your team. You pissed an entire fan base off and you're going to lose millions of dollars. And there's it, a certain it, time period that you have to not smoke weed. And that's no, it drives me insane. Like, it opens up, ironically, 420. And you, you just <laughs> yeah, take one test that. a year and then you can do smoke for the 11 months. So let me offer the other side of that equation because I'm with you on that. If you're a recreational user, um, you know, using it for whatever, you know, to get your mind off of it. But, you know, you don't necessarily need it. And when the, the window does open on 420, you have to pass that one test, and, you know, stay out of trouble. But that test can come anywhere from 420 all the way up to, I want to say, uh, week one of the regular season or at some point during preseason, not to look it up. But no, no, you have to know. You know, refrain from it. So that should be easy to do. But we also know that the NFL hands out Toradol shots, which are absolutely horrible on your ligaments, your bones and joints on tearing them down and making you feel no pain at all. Uh, Hand those out. And then NFL teams starts in college with college teams even. Yeah, I know the point you get to. I, I know the point you're getting to, and I don't yeah. disagree with you in the slightest. I, I agree 100 percent. I would much, much rather see the NFL adopt a policy on uh, on THC treatments, THC, THC therapy. But I'm talking about the, you know, I don't know. This is probably a bad example, but it's a good example of somebody who's been an idiot his whole career. But think about uh, Ronaldo McClain. He was a cowboy. Um, He was a raven as well. And the guy could not keep himself out of trouble. And it's constant, like, smoking weed with his friends and doing this. You know, if you want to go do dumb shit with your friends, if you have the luxury, there's thousands and thousands of talented people who will never get the opportunity to be in the NFL. It's it's really agitating to see people throw it away to go smoke a bowl with their friends. Now, I'm on yeah. the opposite side of the spectrum. I think marijuana kills, and where are you going to be when your mom finds your body overdosed <laughs> on marijuana? You know? <laughs> I honestly don't believe that. Come on now. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, you know, you know, I'm with you on those guys, that the ones that you know you're talking about just socially doing it. And, you know, we've heard Sims talk about it before, at least on his podcast or wherever it was, interview, saying they know I was stupid. And I just thought, oh, you know, what the hell? They're not going to test me, you know, this time, or it'll get out of my system before they have a chance to test me. But there are some people, Randy Gregory, Josh Gordon, are examples of guys that legitimately need it probably to function, and they could function without it. But I, you know, for me personally, it's like I don't know. Do I want to smoke some weed to get rid of my pain, or do I want to let the team hand me, you know, handfuls of Vicodin and get hooked on that? So I can well, see where some of the players might have that. You know, they're they're willing to take that chance rather than have to take you know narcotic painkillers. Which of all, go ahead, yeah. Of all the people that get caught, how many of them actually have came with the excuse of, oh, I'm, I'm doing this medically? Because I think if that if that were something that started to come out frequently and we started to hear that frequently, I think that maybe we might start seeing the NFL try to 
be be a little bit lighter on or maybe even start to reassess their policies on it, which is something that I think I've thought for a long time that they should mm-hmm. do. Actually, um, I think you know, I have friends that have recently. played in the NFL. I know yeah. um, I know several people that have gone through these things. I remember having oh. a discussion with a player. I'm, I'm not going to name, but I had a discussion mm-hmm. with a player who had a horrific, horrific um, addiction to uh, opioids. And the guy told me that because of him doing that to his body, there are days that he would wake up and not even know where he is. And this is five years after he's even been in the NFL. And I don't think that any human should put th- themselves through that. But then you all. So I, I had a friend who five years after he was in the NFL had said that he wakes up in the mornings and doesn't even know where he is. And he had a he had a strong, a long struggle with um, with trying to beat the opioid addiction to begin with. So. You know, we just don't hear a lot of people saying that, oh, I'm in a lot of pain. I need to smoke this pot. And, and that unfortunate and that's unfortunate, too. But we don't hear a lot of that in the NFL. Most of the time when we're seeing these suspensions dulled down, it's some dumb fuck who would rather go out and smoke weed with their friends than just settle down, buckle up and make enough money to, you know, to be able to live a great life for the rest of your life for not smoking weed for six months out of the year. Yeah, no, absolutely. And also remember that we don't hear about players in the substance abuse program until their second or at least third. It's either second or third. I think it's their third. Yeah. So we don't even hear about it because they get, uh, you know, gang checks, blah, 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 a couple of things before it actually happens. So I, I do think that that's probably used more often and you just don't hear about it because it doesn't get made public. Uh, and then those players are the ones that say, OK, look, I know I need it, but I can refrain from using it, even if I'm not going to, you know, function as well for this short period of time. We'll have to wait for that test. They need to stop uh, but- injecting marijuana directly into their bloodstream. I'm telling you. <laughs> It's it's a killer. <laughs> you know, I wish that the, I wish the NFL would, would change their their stance on. It. I think it's pitiful and sad. Now I was just getting to this earlier. It. I think they yeah. kind of have relaxed it a little bit because something's going yeah. on with this Josh Gordon things. There's another person who had Randy a uh, Gregory. Yeah, there's something going on here in the background. We don't know what's going on with Josh Gordon, oh. but um, yeah. I got a feeling it involves his whole pot thing, and I think they're relaxing a little bit because yeah, they haven't I, even announced what's going on. I didn't like I didn't like the guy as a player, but I really, really applauded Eugene Monroe um, when yes. he was a Raven and was really coming out hard uh, in support of medical marijuana for therapy and treatment for players in the NFL. And I thought that that took a lot of courage for him because, that, I mean, he lost his job over it. Let's face yep. it. I mean, we went we went the Ravens went to losing him, him not getting anything and nobody wanting to touch him because he was so uh, publicly, he was so public about his support for marijuana mm-hmm. treatments for the NFL players. When anybody really speaks out about anything like that, I mean, hell, Chris Clue, you remember the punter for the Vikings? Oh, yeah. He lost his uh, position because he was a gay rights activist. I mean, when anybody gets out of line, whenever they become a, I hate to quote Florio here, not a robot, <laughs> yep. they, uh, they get the grease, they squeaky wheel. I'm telling you, it's it's a horrible I, thing. I know all about the Cluey thing. I've actually got Chris Cluey's cell phone number still in my phone from talking with him and interviewing him some in the past uh, years and years ago. And I like Cluey. He was one hell of a punter. Oh, yeah, and he was an amazing, fun guy, whether it's his Twitter feed or listening to him. And he was just genuine and fun, and I, I loved it. Did he ever tell you the story about how he gave Donovan McNabb his number? 
at no, number I five. I, I don't think I, I don't remember that one. I, I'm going to hear it. So I was reading this online. Um, Donovan McNabb had came to the Minnesota Vikings and he wanted uh, his number five. It, Chloe currently had it at the moment. So um, Chloe said, okay, we'll make a deal. I want you to donate uh, X amount of money to a charity. I need you to plug my band Icarus at least 11 times. <laughs> and I think the other thing was he wanted an ice cream cone. And eventually McNabb, a couple years later, got in that ice cream cone. You know what? That that sounds exactly like Cluey. I was I can totally see that when he used to write his articles for Deadspin, uh, you know, and talking about like you know glitter sparkle horse ponies and things. I mean, oh man, those were those were epic rants that he would go after politicians and stuff. I loved it. All right, you're uh, Mount Rushmore special teamer. Oh uh, yeah, Mount Rushmore special teamer. Oh man, you know what? I'm gonna have to go with somebody like a you know a gunner. Honestly, I mean, you, you know, the kicker would be obvious, like Adam Vinatieri or something, maybe a long leg. But I like to go when I think of special teams, I think of that gritty person that, you know, in the dirt running down field that, you know, they make the tackle twice a game. But then the other seven plays that they're in there on, they don't make that tackle. They're doing something. If you actually watch the film, mm-hmm. you know, something like a, a Bill Bates was one of those guys back in the days, ultimate special teamer. You've got uh, the Slater kid in New England as more of a modern day one. And then brings back to the Cowboys. I always talk about and say that people don't give enough credit to LP. Lysor, our long snapper, 12 years in the NFL for the Cowboys, never had a bad snap. Never. Yeah, I'm actually kind of pissed off that long snapper isn't an actual Pro Bowl position. Actually, it is a Pro Bowl position. They get, they don't get voted on, though. Like, they get no, selected. But, yeah, they get – well, they, uh, they do something, and then there's the agreement between the long snappers in the league that they rotate it each year. So even though the person that's selected this year for it, they'll rotate it to someone else because LP went a couple years ago, and some of the Cowboys people I was talking to and know said, yeah, that's what they do. It's uh, the long snappers just rotate. So whoever gets it doesn't always go. They try and get it to somebody who hasn't gone yet. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm not a big fan of how the Pro Bowl selection goes. And honestly, the it's it's really hard to rate a long snapper. If you're analyzing that far down, then what the hell is your life? Exactly. If you're, you know, they don't have stats for long snappers. I don't think at least. Maybe they do. But I don't think you get six for six on snaps. Uh, and, yeah, you know, nobody is going to be evaluating that far. It's, it's honestly like most Pro Bowl voting. People go and look at the stats. Defensive end, who gets the most sacks? Outside linebacker, who gets the most sacks? Uh, and to me, sacks is the, by far, that I can think of at the moment, most overrated uh, statistic in football. All right, man. So tell me, where do you see the Cowboys going this year? You know, our division, I think, is going to be a lot. It's going to be really tough. I give I have mad respect for Alex Smith of the Redskins and even Jay you're the Green, one. I, yeah. <laughs> and we know Philly what their day Philly to me has only gotten better. How the fuck they end up with Michael Bennett? I mean, Jesus Christ, I just let's not even go there. Yeah. But and New York, I mean, come on, bro cream, bro cream, he's gone. McAdoo didn't know what the fuck he was doing anyways. Eli, I don't really think he's got it. And I don't know if Eli's really he has had it. He's played well at times, but he's never been very consistent in my opinion. Uh, but he's got some really good weapons. I mean, obviously we got, you know, Saquon and then OBJ. Ingram, Wing Shepherd. So it's going to be a tough division, but I do think that we are going to be markedly better. I 
think with it being Dak's team now, I think Des being gone is going to help out, actually. Uh, my biggest concern is coaching and obviously injuries, but our offensive coaching staff. I, Linehan, our offensive coordinator, too vanilla. We do – it's sad when me and my friends that I watch the games with or we watch the games are sitting at the house and we'll sit there and say, run – pass dump off you know we'll say we'll predict the plays before they happen and we're right you know 60 70 plus percent of the time not bullshitting not exaggerating because they're that vanilla yeah i gotta agree with you on that i think the only reason that your vanilla offense works is because of that rugged ass offensive line exactly they try and they they have the the thing or whatever which is we are going to out muscle you no, we're going to out-execute, out-play you. We're going to do just a few things well. When I think we've seen with, you know, uh, Doug Peterson, even Sean Payton, uh, different coaching that McVay, Shanahan. The way to go is, yes, have a few things you do really well, but make sure you got that creative spark. You have those juices so you're, you're practicing new things. You're able to do new things because we know that certain teams are going to be able to completely shut you down when you're one-dimension team, one-dimensional, whatever. Why I think I receiving core having so many kind of you know new people to spread the ball around is going to help because teams aren't going to be able to to bracket Cole Beasley and Witten underneath we're going to start putting Hearns outside inside Beasley outside inside moving them around instead of always playing out the same spot it used to be Dez on the outside Terrence William on the outside Witten it tied in Beasley on the inside and nobody ever switched nobody moved too easy to, to too easy to to defend against, in my opinion. I could agree with that. Um, I don't necessarily see what I, what you're seeing, at least in the Redskins. I quite frankly don't have the respect for Alex Smith that you do, especially this far in his career. <laughs> I mean, he's he's good with the checkdown. He's about as good as Joe Flacco is with that. Well, but um, I, I just don't so, see anything else going on in that team. Uh, they, didn't, they they lost their wide receiver there, uh, the, the main guy they had. Oh uh, well, they had well Pryor. Terrell Pryor, yeah, wasn't that that good? And I think they lost. Uh, they lost somebody oh no the year before that they lost like their two main guys because everybody's talking about Kirk Cousins going into his no obviously final franchise tag years they weren't going to do it again and it was pretty obvious they weren't going to get a long term deal on and they took away all his weapons the reason why I respect Alex Smith is you know we saw in Kansas City uh, he did a lot more than just check down check down check down and starting from okay I know for sure in the NFL until Kansas City he had never had the same offensive coordinator or offensive system in place for two years in a row. I see. I think that can have – I think coaching have a big impact on the success of players and the fact that he's overcome that Niners team and, and being that Niners quarterback for so long when the Niners were just absolute and total shit. Uh, <laughs> I, I've got some respect for him. I think he can win some games and do some do some pretty good things. But the rest of Washington is is not any good. But they've always played us well. I don't know why. They've, they've beaten us a lot of times that they shouldn't have. Now we got time for one, maybe two questions left. Chad, I'm going to leave it up to you, man. You got some questions you want to ask this gentleman here? Uh, yeah, speaking of the Redskins, and this is kind of a goofy question. I knew it was coming. So <laughs> be, being in D.C., you know, near D.C., we mm-hmm. have you know, tons of Redskins fans and uh, tons of Redskins people. And, you know, they have no business being in Maryland because they're awful. <laughs> um, but uh, what do you think about the name change thing? And we hear that debate probably more than other people do. I'm not really concerned about, you know, the political stuff surrounding yeah. it. What do you think? I like I like the uh, we like to see a lot of memes 
in, in our during the football season, especially even we play in preseason every year, uh, the Ravens and the Redskins, and we see a lot and a lot of funny stuff going on. What do you, what are your thoughts on that as somebody that's in their division? Do you like to use it as a rib for uh, for their fans, or is it something that you believe they should do or not do? So yeah, I don't like to tell people they're right or or, or wrong. If, I know it sounds like I'm riding the fence. I'm not going to I'll give the real answer, but I always say that you know unless people are being super you know hateful or whatever then it's why do you have that 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 feeling or that opinion why do you feel the way that you feel it's because of your experiences in life what you've gone through and this and that and i try to be extremely fair to people i try not to you know unless you piss me off i don't want to you know offend you typically and especially on stuff that you can't control so i've never had a problem with it and my view has evolved in the last couple of years on it because i was like oh whatever you know of course we can be focused on more important things but then i did the research on the native americans and the people that it that does affect and looking at other professional sports teams or college sports teams that have kept the names because they weren't you know the seminoles because they're honoring it no it's not a disrespectful thing but when when washington or when Native Americans feel that calling them a red skin is the equivalent of the other racial terms that we know that we're not going to use, like Papa John's. Um, Ooh, shots taken. Yeah. So we know that those are out there, and if the majority, the vast majority of the people uh, that are affected by it don't like it and think it's, uh, it's it's racist towards them, then I will try and respect their their feelings on it because they're the only ones that can really tell us how it makes anybody feel. So I do try and avoid to using it. I'm not perfect because I've been using it my whole life, but you know I'm trying. I've tried to to change my opinion on that just to honor the Native Americans because like retard, retard was not a bad name to call somebody. Was, you know we used to call the handicapped people, you know quote unquote retards when you know 50 years ago, but now that's considered you know to be bad form uh, and disrespectful. So I can see how things change and we do evolve. Yeah, the only thing offensive about Papa John's, as far as I'm concerned right now, is the pizza itself. Thank you. I quit. Bravo. I quit eating it a long time ago. Yeah, that's well, that just offends me personally. But yeah, what he did, uh, I'm not going to downplay yeah. it. He, he did some shitty things. That was that was an awful thing yeah. that he did. But yeah, yeah his his uh, pizza might just be a little shittier than what he did. Exactly. The only thing good, the only thing Papa John's did great for pizza was he. Either all of you invented it, but it made standard the little garlic buttery dipping sauce that comes with it. And uh, the pepperoncinis, let's not there, forget them. There you go. He, he, they were the ones that kind of started that trend, and uh, and I love that. So God I'll, bless me some garlic I'll butter. Give that. But, yeah. and I fight over the garlic butter every time we have pizza. <laughs> uh, we just order extra now. Yeah. And if they don't, then we get into fisticuffs. It's pretty I've awesome. I've actually got extra containers of that stuff in my um, in my uh, pantry. So if they forget when the Domino's or Pizza Hut where he gets when he order where I do home pizza. I've got extra I can use. You know, I have at, at one of my restaurants, which was a remain nameless, but uh, w- one of my restaurants, we have um, we had an order come in from a purveyor one time, and it, they sent us a wrong item, and I was like, you know, I look at him like, what the fuck is this? And I'm like, I'm pretty pissed off <laughs> at the whole thing. So I'm like walking around trying to figure out what they missed. I'm reading through an invoice of a bunch of stuff, and I'm like, I can't figure out what the fuck they missed. So I finally open up the box and look at it. <laughs> It was 500 of those uh, little garlic butter containers. Oh. Well, 
I don't know what they're actually made out of, and it's probably toxic, but it's fucking delicious, so I don't care. But, exactly. But that item didn't get sent back. Just put it back. <laughs> we've had it. We've had it for a while, sitting in our walk-in, and there's no shelf life on it. So every time we want some, hey, we got it. That's actually good to know. I was just about to ask if there was any shelf life on that. Oh goodness, uh, yeah, that's amazing. All right, Chad, we got time for one more. Go ahead. Um, being a chef, what what is your uh, favorite tailgate food in Dallas? Oh man, so I love to to cook actually myself. I'm not a chef. Do everything from from scratch or on our own. But um, oh man, greatest tailgate food that's down here. I mean, we're in Texas, so we have a lot of really good Mexican food. And when you get somebody that knows what they're doing and starts grilling some fajitas, uh, I know fajitas probably aren't a traditional tailgate food, but they are down here. And, and it's a lot to me. It's better than the plain old you know, burgers or hot dogs that they go buy pre-made. And they'll throw a little bit of, you know, whatever pre-made seasoning and the giant Montreal steak they have on there. But. But no, I really like the fajitas uh, for a, for a tailgate food because it's I just love fajitas and, and it works down here especially because the fixings you know, the cheese, the avocado or guacamole or whatever, um, onions and peppers just works buffet style. Hey brother, you can't go wrong with a fucking fajita. No, it's I love truth. them. Love fajitas. Yes, sir. Mm. So what about y'all? What's your favorite tailgating food or experience? Uh, we like uh, beer. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm always gonna, and I'm always gonna be kind of token up, you know, behind or behind a car somewhere where I can't get busted. Hopefully. So the best, the best thing I ever did for a tailgate, and you know, I'm a season ticket holder for the Ravens, mm. and uh, the best thing I ever did. I used to be way, way more into tailgating. Now I'm more into just like kind of getting down there, getting drunk, getting the fuck the game, <laughs> getting out. Yep. Um, when we played on Thanksgiving. Um, a few years ago mm. on th- uh, Thanksgiving Day, I swear to God, this took me forever. I made it. I made a fucking turducken. And, <laughs> oh my God! Uh, there Dude. was so there was so many people in the parking lot. Like we used to get down there like eight o'clock in the morning for a four o'clock game, and you know I'm older now. Oh, I can't yeah. do that shit anymore. But um, you know we get down there early. And we made, I want to say that in the parking lot, there was tons of people eating Thanksgiving dinner, like just making all kinds of shit. And it was honestly the the best tailgate experience I've ever seen because there was, everybody was sharing everything. It it actually felt like Thanksgiving. (laughs) Like people were thankful to be there. They were all sharing everything. When I made this turducken and it was the first time I'd ever attempted to make one and it, it came out insane. It was so good. And I was like the whole time I'm making this thing and I spent like hours prepping it the day before did all. All this work and I was like oh man Basically, I prepped this thing we had it together we put it down there in the parking lot but it was a cool I think it was the coolest tailgate experience ever to to be at a tailgate on Thanksgiving day with everybody eating everybody talking um, you know there was a lot of vomit after that game for <laughs> sure but like everybody was just it was a totally different vibe a totally different experience and, and I've always been one like you to where I'll go to tailgates and make I don't make burgers and dogs I try yeah. to make all kinds of I've done brisket gets before yep. you know tons of stuff like that i used to do all of that now now I don't, I don't spend as much time doing it now i'm just happy to go down just to go get to go to a game once or twice and i, and I don't really have a whole lot of time to go so most of my tickets go to friends and things of that nature now 
Oh, so you just reminded me of, so I went to the University of Arkansas. That's where I graduated from. That's where my son, my oldest daughter, my son graduated from, and my youngest daughter is attending right now. And there's a guy there by the name of Jennings Osborne. He was an alumni of my fraternity, and he does this charity thing for, I remember what it's for, blah, blah, but he starts barbecue. And essentially you go, and for a fraternity, it's for free for us, but otherwise it's $5 for a plate. And I'm going to send you some pictures later on of what you get, but just to tell you, you get a probably a, a half pound um, like pulled pork sandwich. You get an entire chicken. You get a massive turkey leg. Um, you get a couple of links of smoked sausage. You get brisket, sliced um, brisket, a giant mug, and then also like a foot long two-inch candy cane, probably for like eight inches or so, but huge candy cane. The most amount of food you will ever see in your life. We used to go to his house, the same thing, and one plate of food will serve a family of four big eaters and probably still have leftover. The most food you'll ever ever see at, at a toga and I'm telling you just I'm going to send you a link or something some pictures of it because yeah, man that's my language right it there. is yeah. amazing we'll post and the I uh, got links it. on the YouTube too so they can see okay. it okay and I've got a question for y'all what's that you uh, said you were season ticket holders uh, yeah. Chad is I'm not or Chad is so do you uh, you like going to the games or how is your game experience because I'm here in Dallas we have the obviously Jerry Roll River that massive stadium blah 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 I've gone to games um, but I I prefer to not go to games. I don't like going to them. It's college games sometimes, but just because of the, it's an all-day affair. Traffic to get down there, it takes you know multiple hours just to fight traffic around the stadium, plus the parking, plus the heat. Usually, how expensive it is, and I can only watch that game or pay attention to that game, and you just stare at the screen anyways. Well, but we're, I like to be able to follow everything. We're we're really fortunate in Baltimore with how our stadium is positioned, and I've been to a lot of other stadiums in the NFL. Um, I, I think in Baltimore, the traffic yeah, it sucks uh, coming out, especially getting in. Um, it's literally right on the edge of the city. So as you're coming into the city, there's like four or five different entrance ways where you can get to it. I think there's 12 parking, different parking lots surrounding the stadium that all kind of have their own like unique way to get to. And it's all walkable. Um, I like how. During the stadium, um, the police just turn a blind eye to drinking and things like that. So yeah. that way people aren't driving and, and doing crazy stuff. Um, I, I think that Baltimore as, as a game experience, I think it has always really been up there in, with the top of the NFL as far as like tailgating and pregame stuff. Yeah. Um, as far as the game is concerned, the stadium is great. You can tell that the Ravens, their their brass and the stadium authority put a lot in to making sure that the stadium is nice. And it's a very nice stadium to see a game in. It's not super old. Uh, they mm-hmm. upgrade it. CJ, what do you think? Every five years, they do a bunch of upgrades in there. Yeah, and the owner typically puts his own money into it. Uh, doesn't really come out of the taxpayers' money too much. Yeah, but, um, which is good. Steve and, Shotty and, is really into that. And, and the thing is, though, is is I, I'm kind of like with you. Uh, when I when I was younger, I used to like to go to every game, and it was about being there and the energy and the excitement. And, and Baltimore Stadium is notably very, very, very loud. And I've been to some bigger, a lot of bigger stadiums through the NFL that do not compare to the 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 energy of that stadium. And Our because stadiums. you know we, we went so long without having it, without having a team, uh, yeah. and it's just now starting to fizzle to the point where people are getting used to it. And in, ever since we've had a team, uh, except for maybe you know a few little uh, blemishes. Baltimore has always been a, a 
pretty pretty winning culture in terms of football and it's it's kind of stayed that way being older now i like to follow more games i like to watch the game more intently but i do like to go because i don't want to i don't want to forget the energy of the games during the season it makes me amped up it makes me want to keep watching and see what's going on i do think that baltimore is taking the route of a lot of other places where they're uh they've definitely made it to where you can't take a family to a game um if you're a working class person anymore, I mean, you know, a, a, a seat in a lower level on average is 115 to $130 a seat at face value. Um, all the games are sold out. So, you know, you can, you might pay upwards of $300 for a ticket to be able to go. And then the concessions are outrageous. So that's kind of, it's kind of taken that road road and it seems to get worse and worse every year with that. So me being an adult and, you know, having, having a kid, I like to be at home. I like to watch the game with my friends and family and, mm-hmm. and be able to follow everything around me quite a bit more than I do going there. I'm going to ditto uh, both you guys on this. Uh, I do like to be able to watch the game at home because, first off, I'm not surrounded by uh, some drunk asshole who wants to fight or something like that. Honestly, <laughs> most of the time when Chad and I go to a game, we're sitting next to typically an opposing team player's uh, family or something like that. We're sitting near them. Yeah. And usually most of them are pretty nice. I've never been to a Ravens Steelers game before, though, so oh, I've heard yeah. some bad things. And um not sure I want to go, but I can tell you one thing. Uh, the nicest fans that I have ever dealt with have been the Buffalo Bills fans. When Chad and I went, I think it was either this past season or two seasons ago for the home opener, the Buffalo Bills fans are so nice. They realize that their team is not that great. They don't have a very good winning history. They're just like, <laughs> yeah, you guys are probably going to win. Let's just have a good time out there today. Why'd you come? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, here, and that's you know, for for me, it's in Dallas. We don't have very good transportation, especially in Arlington, where they built everything is kind of trashy, I guess, in the area, kind of around it. They don't have it's the largest city in the nation without public without any public transportation, and you know, cost is not really that big of an issue for me. I mean, you know, I'm not rich by any means, you know, and we don't live an extravagant lifestyle, but we're we're comfortable, we're okay, um, and we struggled for a long time before we got to this point, love long time but it's you know it's overpriced like a margarita I'm, i don't want to pay 16 20 for a margarita that's mostly melted you know 12 dollars or 10 dollars for a, a warm beer um you know everything else that's so priced like i can sit at home i can pause the game whenever i want to to go to the bathroom step outside smoke a bowl uh we grill and cook you know we can stop to talk or discuss things instant replay like it's so much more better than going there like you said fighting the crowds now hang and on we me, could have a margarita heat. we could have a margarita if benedict arnold over there decided he wasn't going to make us one I yeah. mean, he's over there making uh margaritas for himself chad and he's not making any for us Man, I've drank three, bitches. <laughs> not only not only that, I told my wife that. And I said, yeah, honey, when I get done with this, um, when I get done talking with CJ and Chad, I want to make some margaritas. But nope, I had tequila. So if it wasn't for you, Chad, I wouldn't even ask. I wouldn't have been so disappointed. Thanks. You're such a disappointment, hey. just like the Ravens and the Cowboys. God. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's called a liquor store, brother. You just said you're not hurting. Go to the store. Yeah, it's Sunday. 
Oh, oh, that's right. You're in Texas. In Texas, we have that stupid ass blue light laws where separation of church and state don't not trying to be religious, don't care about it. But I should be able to get booze besides beer and wine on a Saturday or Sunday. Don't don't mess with Texas except for Sunday. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, don't don't fuck with Texas on that. All right, guys. Thank you very much, both of you, for coming on the uh, podcast day. The uh, fullbacks are people, too. Uh, Once again, I'm going to plug your guys' Twitter handles. We got at ReclinerQB was our special guest today for the Dallas Cowboys. And we got uh, my special co-host today was at Chef Chad Wells. So that's at R-E-C-L-I-N-E-R-Q-B. That's at C-H-E-F-C-H-A-D-W-E-L-L-S. And I'm, of course, at the C.J. Newman. That's T-H-E-C-J-N-E-U-M-A-N. And thank you guys very much for coming on board today. Thanks for having us. Hey, absolutely. It's my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's been week two of the Fullbacks Are People 2 podcast, The Fapt. I believe next week the rumor and innuendo has it that we have a fan coming on board from the Jacksonville Jaguars. So let's see how far we can get along with that guy and his uh, favorite quarterback, Blake Bortles. Thank you guys very much for tuning in this week, and we'll see you next week.